2020 was a year unlike any other in the 40-year history of the HIV-AIDS pandemic. The COVID-19 pandemic poses geopolitical threats to progress in the field and has impacted many of the systems in place meant to combat HIV. As the COVID pandemic continues into 2021, unprecedented disruptions, social and economic instability, fear of accessing health facilities, and impacts on current HIV programs force the global health community to reassess how to adapt, protect, and sustain progress. In this podcast, we will speak to experts, community leaders, and people living with HIV about the progress towards meeting HIV targets under this new COVID reality and the future of health security in low- and middle-income countries. I'm Catherine Bliss, and this is AIDS 2021. We're proud to launch this week a brand new CSIS podcast series, Pandemic Planet. The COVID-19 pandemic has exposed weaknesses in U.S. global health security approaches while triggering massive health, economic, and social crises around the world. Pandemic Planet focuses on renewing high-level U.S. international leadership, including the quest for affordable access to COVID-19 vaccines. We take you behind the scenes with insights from diverse global experts and leaders to help you understand the evolving pandemic response, the critical global decision points on the horizon, and what our best options are for improving health security for the United States and the rest of the planet. You can subscribe and listen to our first episode with Seth Berkley, CEO of Gavi, the Vaccine Alliance, wherever you get your podcasts. Our other highly successful podcast series, Coronavirus Crisis Update, will continue with a focus on COVID-19 in America. Hello, my name is Catherine Bliss, and I'm a senior fellow with the CSIS Global Health Policy Center. I'm joined today by Dr. Catherine Ngugi, head of the National AIDS and STI Program, or NASCOP, in Kenya. Dr. Ngugi, welcome to AIDS 2021. Thank you. So we're here to talk about progress in Kenya towards reaching ambitious targets around preventing new HIV infections in children and ensuring that children born to mothers who are positive for HIV are tested and initiated on antiretroviral treatment in a timely manner. In many ways, the outlook for pediatric HIV in Kenya before COVID was optimistic, but the first COVID cases in Kenya were reported on March 12th, and like countries around the world, Kenya has seen the numbers climb with more than 83,000 confirmed cases today at the end of November. The government has taken strong measures to prevent more widespread transmission of the virus, including lockdowns, restrictions on internal travel, and issuing of recommendations around social distancing. But there is concern that the diversion of resources to COVID response could threaten recent gains in some health programs, including pediatric HIV. So Dr. Ngugi, you've been in your current role for several years with previous research experience in New Zealand and South Africa, among other places. Can you start off by telling us about the pre-COVID situation in Kenya with respect to pediatric AIDS, particularly around prevention of mother-to-child transmission and early infant diagnosis? Thank you so much for your question. Since COVID hit from March, when we recorded our first COVID-19 positive uh, client, 
until now, we saw a bit of a dip in terms of uh, testing, not only in facility, but as well within the community, almost a dip of almost 32 to 42%. Uh, that's time we had total lockdown, as you have mentioned clearly. But in the, from the month of July, August, September, when there was a bit of relaxed guidelines given in the country, the all measures, then we at least it has picked up. So, but not in comparison the way we performed in uh, 2019. In this year, we wanted at least to ensure we improve not only in identification, but in viral load suppression of our children, at least to 90%. That is why in last year, we issued a guidance to the whole country to have all children who are on the Virapin-based regimens to be able to be transitioned to optimized regimens. And even this year, we have given a guidance on evaporance-based regimens to ensure that we trans to change our children to those ones. We have made significant efforts in reducing mother-child transmissions of HIV. Rates as a country have reduced from, we had 16% in 2012. We really performed well up to 2016, 8.3%. Currently, we are 10.8%. We also have achieved great milestones through integration of Kenya Mentor Mother Program into PMTCT improved retention of mother-baby pairs in CARES through peer uh, support from women who had walked the, the same journey and had negative babies 18 months post-delivery. And finally, decline in donor funding and lack of globally coordinated technical support and coordination has led to this rise as we have had a comparison between 2016 and right now in the 2019. But we have begun to see a decline now, as I've said, to 10.8. Overall, there has been a 50% reduction in new pediatric HIV infections from around 12,941 in 2016 to around 6,806 in 2020, an increase in prevention of mother-child transmission coverage from 70% in 2016 to around 94% in 2020. Thank you and back to you. Thank you. Now, I wanted to ask about the mentor-mother program that you mentioned just now and, and really this effort to link mothers who have already you know, been through this, this journey, as you described it, and you know, their potential for talking with new mothers and really helping them to, to understand the importance of early testing and, and treatment. How has the COVID context affected those kinds of, kind of community-level interactions? Have you had to find new ways to facilitate communications at the peer level like that? Or has that been something that's been able to continue regardless? Thank you. Kenya Mentor Mother Program, we still have our mentor mothers within the health facilities and within the communities. The best part of it is they come from the same communities near the health facilities. So there's still continuation of them being able to access the mothers who are within the EMTCT program. However, we know definitely because of the terms of meetings and the measures in terms of travel, it has been affected. Unfortunately, we have not been able to assess the impact of that. Maybe within the next four, five months, we'll be able to have that. But our preliminary information that we are receiving is that definitely it's declined. The many time often they used to go to the, the mother's homes or follow them with the call. It's not so frequent as it was before. But yes, we know that we need to up our game, especially now we have noted high level of increased teenage pregnancies. And as well, knowing that what it is that coupled with, that's something that we need to address. Yes, there's an effect on impact, but we cannot really uh, be able to measure in how much the impact is. 
So thinking about the impacts of COVID kind of across the across the spectrum, in many ways, very ironic to see it threatening progress right now when there have been a number of new pediatric-specific formulations of ART developed. So, you know, I just wanted to ask you to say a bit about the impacts on the supply chain of medications that are coming into the country and the opportunities for ensuring that that the newest uh, technologies, whether medications or some of the newer point-of-care testing technologies are able to be you know, rolled out and used even in this difficult context? First of all, the new formulations that Kenya we have been able to adopt and I think put our children on uh, the new optimized regimens of the DTG. And I think when we, especially our children who at least have attained 20 to 35 kilograms, but you note that death in children are due to OIs that occur in advanced HIV or cause progress in age-related immune destruction occurs. We know that DTG, definitely one thing that really assists us to ensure that we have a quicker achievement of viral uh, suppression. But as well, we know the main issue we have with it is um, delay in deliveries. You know, for example, of, you know, like for meropinavil formulations, and definitely we need to innovate and uh, use of virtual pr- platforms to optimal regimens, you know, amid uh, the travel restrictions in the country. But with the new ART formulations, it's definitely as well need to strengthen suspected ADR monitoring and reporting through access to necessary lab tests. And as I have said, main, the main concern for us is delays between approval process, manufacturing, FNQ, you know, focusing and quantification and supply of commodities of newer ART formulations, especially the DTG. You know, we hear right now in the media that we have around the 10 milligram coming. We are excited about it, but as well, we are still, however much it will be announced that it will be there, the delays in terms of the approval process and manufacturing and supply will hinder us to ensure that we are able to pick it up and be able to utilize it in the country for our children, especially the ones who need it to have either treatment failures and the ones who have a viral suppression that we really need to improve it as fast as possible. Yes. So as we look ahead to the next, say, one to three years, how do you see the pandemic shaping pediatric prevention and treatment strategies in Kenya? Are there new opportunities for doing things in in a different way? Or are there collaborations either regionally or internationally that you think may, you know, ultimately sort of change how you are able to reach out to new mothers and, and to children to ensure that these programs are able to move forward in an effective way, despite what may be two to three years before vaccines are, are fully rolled out and available? Yeah, thank you so much for your question. You know, if you look at the, the, the three cascades, we definitely need to have, one, innovations around HIV testing and more on as well in the referral for linkage to ART and timely ART in, in the initiations. And as well, especially when you look at the point of care EID, there is an area that I need as globally we need to discuss it. I know you have discussed it in other forums, especially the Vatican Initiative platform. When mostly what we are struggling with in sub-Saharan Africa is about the cost. So I feel that's an area that we really need to address, especially as in Kenya. And then to reduce you know, the other parties, to reduce interactions, possibly of adoption, adoption of innovative models for multimal scripting for children and their caregivers. Then the other part that is really big of a concern to us, especially 
with parents you know has really been a hurdle is strengthen patient literacy beyond HIV-related matters to hygiene measures to reduce chances of contracting COVID-19 and other hairy infectious illnesses, and as well as strengthen uh, patient uh, treatment literacy on the drugs that are coming. I think you will note, for example, in 2018 and 2019, most of the concerns we had in rolling out of the uh, DTG based not only for adults, but as well for pediatrics, is the concerns of the side effects. So I feel that's an area we really need to address by the time we are introducing a new formulation, not only to the healthcare workers, but as well to the people living with HIV and as well the caregivers or the guardians of our children. Back to you, Catherine. Thank you. So as we look ahead to reporting and taking stock of global goals, the fast track goals that are off track from where the global community had had hoped they would be in terms of prevention and treatment. As we look ahead to the setting of new strategies through the Global Fund, through PEPFAR, the U.S. program, and, and others, you know, do you feel optimistic about the chances of a spotlight really being trained on pediatric HIV issues? Or, you know, do you feel that that this is a moment when those issues are going to you know, really get a new burst of, of attention and focus? Or is this an issue that the community is going to really need to continue kind of bringing home within the context of this larger set of health security challenges around pandemic and emergency preparedness? Yes, yes, I would say yes and no. Yes, I would say in terms of uh, we, for example, in the grant, like now Kenya, we are doing our grant application and grant making right now. And that is an area, especially pediatric HIV programming and response. We have really, really highlighted it in all these areas that you are mentioning to ensure that it's given the attention and the priority that it requires. But however, we note that in the areas that needs to specific attention, especially not only, I know we tend to focus more on treatment and care, but it comes to prevention, or even identification is an area that we lag behind that I'm hoping that it can be really be addressed. And so we don't focus more on treatment and care. But the other part is, yes, I can see that we have had several of other development partners coming into the field of, uh, of the pediatric HIV programming, especially Johnson & Johnson. And as well, we are having DNDI, ECPAF as well, are really coming on board. And they are really quite supporting us at the national level. For example, the transition and optimization we are taking, we are undertaking in Kenya, not only at the nation, at the county level, they are really, really coming on board. So we are hoping the other development and donor partners as well can take lead on that area and ensure that we address it. Because it is really not fair and not just for our children that we have the right regimens and they are not on them so they can suppress quickly. But as well, identifying them, it should really be a priority for all of us to ensure that we identify them and put them on the treatment so they can be able to thrive and be able to go on with their life without being affected by the fact that they are HIV infected. So as you look ahead to 2021, what are your immediate priorities for accelerating action on the pediatric front in Kenya? You know, ensuring that we close this gap and avert the pediatric HIV infections that we have, we need to reflect back and see how can we close this gap. And you know that mother-to-child transmission of HIV remains the greatest mode of transmission of HIV to children. And therefore, definitely identification of HIV-positive pregnant women and ART institution so that they achieve suppression ahead of delivery remains very, very paramount. And access, definitely, infant prophylaxis. 
it's also very critical. And I think the part I want to mention more, especially in front prophylaxis, is the nevirapine and the formulations that we have. It's become a problem and a hindrance for us to access it because, you know, manufacturers know that they really make little, I think profit margins are very little. Delayed in access to health facilities, systemic challenges within the health facilities that lead to missed opportunities for HIV testing for mother baby payers, healthcare worker capacity gap, gaps in maintaining, uh, you know, the fidelity to infant testing algorithms, as well as delays in EID infant, you know, that early infant diagnosis results to turn around time, especially in hard to reach areas. It continue to cause increase in pediatric HIV infections. In addition to this, this in, for the last year, few years, we have had challenges with access to infant prophylaxis commodities. As countries have, you know, have adopted WHO guidance to move from NNRTIs in favor of more optimal formulations, especially at DTG. As a country, we have experienced, you know, frequent shortages of nevirapine for classes that I've mentioned for the last two years. And as I've engaged the manufacturers, they shy away because they say the profit margins are little. So about these strategies, these are my recommendations. First is we need to increase investment in elimination of mother-child transmission of HIV and reduction of pediatric HIV. Secondly, you know, prioritization of counties based on you know, the HIV instance and coverage so that resources can be allocated to high burden areas. You know, number three, you know, we ensure that we establish a strong coordination mechanism among stakeholders, either people living HIV networks or development partners, donor partners, and as well, we have county governments and the national government as well. Number four, capacity building of healthcare workers is very, very important uh, to maintain key implementation strategies and guidance, such as guidelines and SOPs. And then as well, you know, continu continued provision of technical support to counties and the implementing partners to ensure that we bridge all these gaps they're talking about. Then how do we incentivize the manufacturers to, to ensure continued supply on infant prophylaxis of you know, the commodities. And finally, you know, scale up EID point of care for quick turnaround of infants results and prompt insertion of ART where ART and as well support of mothers and baby payers. Those are the areas I wish that we could be able to address them. So as we are here in almost December of 2020, looking at the end of a difficult year globally, as we look ahead to 2021, what are you most optimistic about in terms of progress and, and work at the intersection of children and HIV in, in Kenya, regionally and, and globally? What, what gives you the most hope for the year ahead? For the year ahead, first of all, I'm excited about the 10 milligrams DTG that is coming on board. I'm really, really excited about it. Secondly, is the fact that we can be able to put our children, you know, on optimized regimens. That is one. Secondly, what I'm so hopeful is, finally, as a country, you can move away from 70% of viral suppression to at least to more than 90%. But I know we still have some gaps, as I have said, in the first 90. Globally, I'm glad for the several platforms that we have especially at the PEPFA level, at the VAT level, who is who to ensure they are on the table so we can have solutions for our pediatrics. So I'm hopeful that we will have uh, resolutions and good recommendations in regarding to not only identification, 
but as well to the treatment for the formulations for our children. Dr. Ngugi, thank you very much for speaking with me today, for sharing your perspective on how the progress with respect to pediatric HIV in the context of the pandemic has has unfolded and, and where you see opportunities for really making a difference in the year ahead. Very much appreciate your time and your, your work on these challenging issues. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to AIDS 2021. To learn more about CSIS's research on the global fight against HIV AIDS, go to CSIS.org and look for the Global Health Policy Center program page.